Everything in your eternity will be determined how you answer that question. Do you know him? Are you sure? How could you not know him? How could you not know him? If I've learned anything from the Gospel of John, is the Gospel of John reveals who he is. What do you think would happen to the community of Bethany just outside Jerusalem that sees and hears that four-day dead Lazarus has risen? What would you expect to happen in a town in which there is physical evidence by multiple witnesses that a man who had been buried for four days is up walking around talking? What do you think would happen? What do you think would happen in our town if we went to a funeral and were ready to bury somebody and all of a sudden they're knocking on the inside saying, get me out of here? Nobody would talk about it. Everybody would talk about it. Do you know him? Jesus has just raised a man from the dead. And my question as I begin today is how will the people respond to that fact? How will they respond? How will you respond? Jesus didn't raise Lazarus in secret. He did it openly in front of many witnesses. And my question again is how will the people in Bethany respond to the resurrection of the dead? Surely this changes everything, right? Surely everything's going to be different now, right? There's a man that has the power over death. There's a man that has power over the grave. There's witnesses. This will change everything, right? Today we continue through the Gospel of John, but this time Lazarus is up walking around. How will he be received? I'll give you a hint. How he's received then will have much to do with us in this room today. John chapter 11, verse 45. Here we go. Many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. Saw what? Lazarus is up. Many of the people who were with Mary now I get it. He raises the dead. They believed when they saw this happen. Verse 46, but, there's always a but. But some went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. What did he do? He raised Lazarus from the grave. Then the leading priests and Pharisees called the high council together. What are we going to do? What do you mean, what are you going to do? Why wouldn't you just celebrate? What are we going to do? This man certainly performs many miraculous signs. If we allow him to go on like this, soon everyone will believe in him. Wouldn't that be a tragedy? If we allow him to go on and keep doing this, soon everybody's going to believe in him. And then the Roman army will come and destroy both our temple and our nation. Is that what you expected? I pause for a moment in the story. A, a man who had been in the grave for four days is out walking around town. Is this what you expected? They've called a meeting of the religious folks, and the religious folks' conclusion is, what are we going to do? If this keeps going like this, everybody's going to go and follow him, and Rome, the ruling government of that day, is going to come and take away our temple, and they're going to take away our nation. They're going to mess up our way of life. They're going to mess up everything. But hold on, hold on a minute. Dead people are walking. And you're worried about the temple, and you're worried about your nation, and you're worried about your current lifestyle? Is that what you were expecting? You see, it's amazing to me that in this point, they're afraid of what the government's going to do. 
Don't miss it. They're afraid of what the government's going to do to them because Jesus is raising dead people. Some believe this event of Jesus raising Lazarus was a world-changing moment. And they became what we call believers. Some, but not all. I repeat, this miracle was not done in the secret. Many people had traveled with Jesus to the tomb. Many people had witnessed the resurrection of Lazarus. So you can't get a few people to make up a story. There's many witnesses. Let me read it to you, John eleven thirty one. 31. When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep, so they followed. How many people followed? Many people have assembled at the funeral. So they went to follow Mary. They saw it. There's witnesses. Many witnesses, but not everyone will believe. Some things haven't changed much in 2,000 years. There are many witnesses today. Not to the physical resurrection of Christ, but there are many who will testify that they have encountered this risen Christ. Amen? They have encountered Him. Do you know Him? Have you encountered Him? Let's face it, the resurrection from the dead is big, and either you believe it or you don't. If you believe in the resurrection of the dead, everything changes. If Jesus really has the power over the grave, he must be who he says he is. He must be the Son of God. He must be the Savior of the world. He must be the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. God has come among us. That changes everything, right? Right? Jesus is telling the truth or Jesus is a liar. There's no way you're going to find anything else in that story. Either Jesus is telling the truth or Jesus is a liar. Can you see why there's no middle ground here? So what are they going to do with this dead man raising Jesus? That's what they, they called a meeting of the Jewish high council and looked at each other and said, what are we going to do? He's raising dead people. Soon everybody's going to believe him. And our whole life as we know it's going to be different. Verse 47. And the leading priests and Pharisees called a high council together. What are we going to do? They ask each other. This man certainly performs many miraculous signs if we allow him. Can you stop it? If we allow him to go on like this, soon everyone will believe in him. Then the Roman army will come and destroy both our temple and our nation. Now listen, I want you to notice a couple of things here, very important. Did you notice they did not deny the miracle? Now that's impressive to me. There was so much evidence, so many witnesses. They did not deny the miracle. They didn't say this couldn't happen, did they? They did not deny it. Instead, they look at how they might preserve themselves under the Roman Empire, under the current world order. Please, here's the foundation for today. Here's the foundation for everything we want to talk about today. When confronted with the truth that a man can raise the dead, you know what their response is? If we allow him to keep doing this, he's going to mess up the current world order. He's going to mess up things around here. They're going to mess up the temple. He's going to mess up our nation. He's going to mess up our status. He's going to mess up our government. He's going to mess up everything, this raising from the dead Jesus. So they create a plan as to how they can preserve their life. Listen, how they can preserve their life under the current world order. Never given a moment's thought that there might be a new world order coming. Let's just make it to where we can maintain our status under the current world order. What was the current world order, Rome? There was a government, Rome. Is there really a chance of self-preservation without Jesus? In fact, what is the concept of self-preservation? 
wouldn't, be the, wouldn't it be the ultimate self-preservation to know that somebody calls people out of the grave? If you want some self-preservation, meet the one who's not afraid of the grave, who can call your name and you come out of the grave. That's self-preservation through a power beyond yourself. What is self-preservation? Ask the people in Texas this past week. When a power so much larger than you confronts you, what is self-preservation? What's it look like? Is there really a chance of self-preservation without Jesus, the one who defeats death? And then something happens. The high priest, his name is Caiaphas, speaks, but he does not speak on his own. Remember, he is the high priest over Israel, and he is not there by accident. He is there on purpose, and God has not stepped away from the scene. He is in the middle of the scene, and God is going to put words inside of Caiaphas' mouth, even if Caiaphas doesn't know he's doing it. Listen carefully. Caiaphas, verse 49, who was the high priest at that time, said, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't realize that it's better for you that one man should die. It's better for you that one man should die for the people than the whole nation be destroyed. He said he did not say this on his own. As high priest at that time, he was led. Who led him? God. He was led to prophesy that Jesus would die for the entire nation. And not only for that nation, but to bring together and unite all the children of God. You know that's a reference to the Gentiles sitting in this room today? Not only would it be good for you that one man would die for the people, so that the whole nation would not perish, the people will not just be the Jews, but they'll be the Gentiles, the children of God scattered around the world. It's better for one man to die than for the whole nation to die. This is the plan of God. This is not the plan of man. It's the plan of God. One man was going to die to save the nation. That's not the question. That fact is unstoppable. So unstoppable that it comes out of the high priest's mouth. Even if he hadn't planned to say it, he says it because it's unstoppable. Not just the Jewish nation, but the Gentiles will have the right to become the children of God. To unite two people into one nation. The only thing left undone is this. Are you ready? I told you it's unstoppable. It is better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. The only thing left undone is who will believe him and be saved. And who will be lost because they refuse to believe and receive the one that died for the nation. So what will the Jewish leaders do? Caiaphas has prophesied. The priests are wringing their hands. What are we going to do? We're going to lose the temple. We're going to lose the nation. Rome's going to come and crush us because we've got a guy raising the dead. What are they going to do? Verse 53, so from that time on, the Jewish leaders began to plot Jesus' death. As a result, Jesus stopped his public ministry among the people and he left Jerusalem. He went to a place near the wilderness to the village of Ephraim and stayed there with his disciples. Now, now here's the conclusion. Either you believe him or you don't. Either you believe him or you will hate him. But no one's going to be neutral. What started this scene, this storyline? It was the connection between last Sunday and this Sunday. But what started this scene? Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, and now they plot to kill Jesus for doing it. Does that sound crazy? Just stop in a moment. Stop. Sometimes I think we read this and we don't think about what's happening. Jesus has raised a man from the dead and the result from the religious leaders is let's kill him. Why? Because he raised somebody from the dead. Wouldn't that be a good thing? 
Does this sound crazy? This is a spiritual war. And there's no way we're ever going to understand why they want to plot to kill Jesus for raising a man from the dead until you understand that there is a battle that's taking place in the heavenly realms that none of us can comprehend. There are demons and there are angels of light at work right now in your life, in my life, on this present earth, and our minds cannot grasp that battle. But there's a battle that's raging. You tell me why else, what else would explain the fact that Jesus has resurrected a man from the grave and they want to kill Jesus? There's war. This is not a flesh and blood war. This is not a battle of human beings. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 describes it perhaps better than any other verse in the Bible. He says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. How in the world are we going to fight against evil spirits in heavenly places? How in the world are you and I going to do battle against this waging war in the heavenly realms? How can you fight what you cannot see? His name's Jesus. He sees it. I can't see it, you can't see it, but I assure you of this, he sees it. So Jesus does what? The high priest has prophesied what? It's better for one man to die than for the whole nation to be lost. So Jesus leaves Jerusalem as the Jewish leaders plot his death. Lazarus is alive and nobody can deny it. The evidence is clear, there are many witnesses. This plan of God was put into motion before the foundations of the earth and the events leading up to the cross of Christ are, let me tell you, they are absolutely unstoppable. The only question that remains is who's going to believe this one man that will die for the nation. Next verse, verse 55. It was now almost time for the Jewish Passover celebration. And many people from all over the country arrived in Jerusalem several days early so that they could go through the purification ceremony before Passover began. They kept looking for Jesus, but as they stood around in the temple, they said to each other, what do you think? He won't come to the Passover, will he? Meanwhile, the leading priests and Pharisees had publicly ordered that anyone seeing Jesus must report it immediately so they can what? Welcome this resurrecting Jesus to town? No, so they can arrest him. Remember, they're looking for Jesus. They're plotting his death, and Jesus has left Jerusalem for a while, but now something has happened on the calendar. Passover is coming. What will Jesus do? Will he skip Passover because his life's being threatened? That's where chapter 12 of John starts. And of all things, of all people, of all places, where does Jesus go? He returns to Bethany, to the house of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. Verse 1. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised previously from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor, Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. Now, I want you to push pause in the story, and I want you and I to imagine that table in that event, that dinner held in Jesus' honor. Can you imagine how, Jesus, how Lazarus would look at Jesus sitting across the table? I don't know why. When I read this, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, here Lazarus is, what he's just experienced, and Jesus is sitting across the table sharing the meal. Now, how would you look at Jesus? I can't imagine. I'm serious, I can't imagine. Number two, 
Can you imagine what Lazarus saw and he experienced during that four days of darkness? The Bible doesn't tell us, so I don't know. Can you imagine what he saw, what he experienced leading up to his death and dying, breathing that last breath and going wherever he went? And that leads me to number three. Can you imagine what Lazarus experienced when he heard, Lazarus, come out. And now he's sitting across the table from that guy having a meal together. But this scene isn't really about Jesus and Lazarus, is it? This scene really isn't about Jesus and Martha, is it? This scene is about Jesus and Mary, the sister of Lazarus. Mary breaks a jar of expensive perfume over the feet of Jesus, and she rubs it into his skin with her hair. An incredible act of humility. Remember, God has put into motion a series of events that will lead to the Son dying for the sins of the nation. God has put into motion a series of events that is about, about to create a supernatural race of people called the children of God. It won't matter what your skin color is. It won't matter whether you're Jew or Gentile. It won't matter whether you're rich or poor or whether you've got noble blood or you're a peasant. It's not going to matter. God has put into motion a series of events that's going to create a supernatural race of people called the children of God. The only remaining question is who will believe him that he is who he says he is. Some responded to the resurrection of Lazarus with belief. Mary is one of those. And her belief has led her to take the most expensive thing perhaps she owned and break it and pour it all out and put her hair on it and rub it in. An absolute all-in surrender act of humility in front of her Lord. Why? Because she knows who He is. She knows who He is. He is the I Am. But not everybody's going to believe. You see, there's Mary and there's Martha and there's Lazarus. It's obvious they believe. But there's a group of people illustrated by the spiritual elite of that day, they thought killing Jesus would do something for them. Why did they plot to kill Jesus? Please don't miss it. You're going to miss the whole storyline. Why were they going to plot to kill Jesus? Because if we let him keep doing what he's doing, he's going to mess up our way of life. We're going to lose the temple. We're going to lose the nation of Israel. We're going to lose our way of life. Everything we know is going to be crushed by the government. So let's get rid of Jesus. Listen, listen, listen. There was an idea then, there is an idea today, that excluding Jesus from your life will sustain your life in the current world order. That removing Jesus from your life, removing the Word of God from your life, will sustain your life in the current world order. But there's a problem. There's a new order coming. And nobody's thinking in the story about the new. Well, Mary's thinking about it as she pours this perfume on his feet because she sees something's coming beyond Rome. Beyond what we know today. They thought killing Jesus would sustain their life in the current world order. But what about the future world order? Listen. If you were here last week, Jesus revealed before he went to Lazarus' tomb that there's 12 hours of daylight and 12 hours of darkness, but there's a day coming when there'll be light all the time. What about that day? How will you sustain your life in that day? Because that day's coming. I'm watching people do the same thing today. Listen carefully. 
I'm watching people ignore Jesus, deny Jesus, pretend like He's not real in an attempt to sustain and protect their life in the current world order. People come to church and in reality, they have pushed Jesus off, compartmentalized Jesus. We'll put Him up on the shelf. I'll use Him certain times when I need Him. But really, I don't need Jesus because I need to sustain my life in the current world order. And you know what? Too much Jesus gets you in trouble with the government. Then the government could come and mess up my life. How can you sustain your life in the current world order? How can you sustain your life in the new world order that's promised to be on its way? And I ask you a question. When they asked Jesus, how should we pray? What was his answer? Pray like this. Our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is the order that's coming? What, what prayers coming out of your mouth? You know, I'm going to tell you, if you want to sustain your life in the current world order, you better be aware that there's a new world order coming. It is called the kingdom of Christ, and it is all light all the time. And they're selling that. They're selling. The, the leaders of Israel are selling the new kingdom for the current kingdom, they're doing a trade. So they plot to kill the Savior of the world because He raises people from the dead so that they can what? Save their current way of life. Save the, the temple. Save the nation. And Caiaphas comes into the room and God through Caiaphas prophesies it's better that one man. It would be better that one man would die for the people than for the whole nation to perish. And Jesus walks toward the cross. And now Mary has anointed the feet of Jesus with perfume. And I'm going to ask you a question. How will they respond? How will they respond? Next verse. Verse 4. Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray Jesus, said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor, he was a thief. Since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. I told you earlier that this is a spiritual war taking place among the kingdoms of men. God had forced the high priest Caiaphas to prophesy of God's heavenly plan, one man for the nation. The adversary of God, Satan, is deceiving and blinding many to the miracles of Jesus and his power over the grave, thinking that somehow or another, you know what the deception, you know what the deception looks like? It's not change. The deception is deceiving you into believing that you can sustain your life in the current world order without Jesus. Let's just push Jesus away. Let's get rid of Jesus, and we can keep things the way they are. We can sustain our way of life. We can keep our religion. We can keep our way of life. Let's just get rid of Jesus. He's messing up our story. Satan's doing it right now. In fact, let me say, more than likely he's doing it to quite a few people even in this room today. Let's just keep things the way they are. Jesus, you change everything when you come. And now Judas will join in the spiritual deception that will lead to his own death. Judas was one of the twelve. And you know what Judas represents, at least to me, a casualty of war. This is a spiritual war. People die in war, and this war will resurrect some people. This spiritual war will cause some people to be resurrected. Lazarus, a representative of that side, but this spiritual war will cause some people to die eternal death. Judas represents that sign. Jesus stands in the middle of this war between heaven and earth, between heaven and hell. And Jesus stands with those who believe Him. But listen, some of you don't want to hear this, but He stands against those who refuse to believe Him. Do you doubt that? 
Many in the church today are struggling with the idea that Jesus stands against those who refuse to believe Him. He becomes your adversary. Jesus stands with Mary. And He defends Mary. Mary does what? She breaks this perfume and pours it on her feet. And Judas steps up and says, what a waste. What will Jesus say? Verse 7. Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Leave her alone. Can I insert something? She's with me. Leave her alone. That's what Jesus told the grave. Just a few days earlier, Lazarus is in the grave, and everybody thinks the grave's that red line. Nobody can go talk to that grave, right? And Jesus looks at the grave, and Lazarus inside the grave for four days, and he says, leave him alone. He's with me. And the grave cannot argue. The grave cannot debate. The power of death cannot say, no, you can't have him. No, no, leave him alone. He's with me. Lazarus! Come out. He comes out. I'm going to tell you, listen, I'm going to make a confession to the church today. That's my plan. That one of these days in my future, if I enter that thing called the grave, Jesus, my Lord, my Savior, my King, my Christ is going to look at the grave and say, no, he's with me. Leave him alone. If that's not your plan, can I ask you what your plan is? Do you think you can sustain your life without him? The deception of Satan then, the deception of Satan today is the same. That you can sustain your life without Jesus. No, you can't. No, you can't. When Jesus is at the grave of Lazarus, verse 25, Jesus makes a statement. I am the resurrection and the life. And anyone who believes in me will live. That's it? That's all I got to do? Yeah, that's it. But I'm going to tell you, it won't come natural and it won't come easy. Anyone who believes in me will live, even after you're dying. Even after you die, they put you in the ground. Anyone who believes in me, even if you get buried somewhere. And everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Church, do you believe it? Say amen. So I'm going to ask you a question. How would you respond to that? Jesus raising Lazarus. How would you respond to that? What? Mary pouring expensive perfume on Jesus' feet. You see, both of these scenes created two groups of responders. They created believers and they created unbelievers. How have you responded to this man named Jesus? I want to see what happened next in Bethany. Verse 9. When all the people heard of Jesus' arrival. Now, he's, he's coming to Passover. When all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus, the man that Jesus has risen from the dead. Now, you can imagine as well as I that by this time, Lazarus is a superstar. Right? Come on. He's a superstar. The word's out, come see Lazarus, the one who rose from the dead. Verse 10. Then the leading priest decided to kill Lazarus too. Okay, it was a short time as superstar. For it was because of Lazarus that many of the people had deserted them and believed in Jesus. You see, if it weren't so serious, it'd be, la it'd be laughable. Listen, if it weren't so serious, it'd be laughable. What? Let's kill Lazarus too. Why would you want to kill Lazarus? What did he do? Do you see the spiritual war? You see, they were trying to sustain their life. Why were they trying to kill Lazarus? It's because that... Lazarus was making people believe in Jesus. And Jesus is messing up our life. Jesus is messing up my current world order. Jesus is bringing everything into focus. And I don't like what that looks like. 
Sometimes I think of Lazarus. Somebody's whispering through the crowd and saying, you know what, Lazarus? They put a hit out on you. And Lazarus like, oh, no, not again. I got to die again? Why would you want to kill poor Lazarus? Because he came out of the grave? Do you see it? There's a war. None of this makes any sense if you're unable to see the spiritual battle that's raging in the heavenly realms. You see, they don't hate Lazarus because he rose from the dead. Listen, they don't hate Lazarus because he rose from the dead. They hate Lazarus because Lazarus is connected to Jesus. And Jesus is messing up our world order. Lazarus has become part of Jesus, and Jesus has become part of Lazarus, and Jesus has an enemy, an adversary. His name is Satan. Who do you belong to? Church. Who do you belong to? You belong to the one you're facing, and there's only two choices. One of the things I admire about our president is in the midst of all the pressure that he must be in in that position in this divided nation is that he had at least the forethought to call the nation to God. I don't care what anybody else sees. I can tell you what I see. What I see is this. Turn around and face God. Why? Listen carefully. You belong to the one you're facing. You don't belong to the one you've turned your back on. You belong to the one you're facing. And as a nation, can we just be honest? As a, na- as a nation, the nation has turned its back on God. And if you turn your back on God, who are you facing? His adversary. You belong to the one you're facing. You do not belong to the one you've turned your back to. So, at least for today, some people, not everybody, I'm not naive, some people are turning around and facing God. I want to tell you, I bet there's a whole lot of people in Texas today facing God. Because you know what? The government can't save you. The National Guard can't come and save you. There's no amount of scientists going to do something on the earth to do something to the seas and the heavens to save you. There's only one that's going to save you. His name is Jesus. And when that hurricane comes on shore... And you realize there's a power so far beyond any of us that our mind cannot comprehend. In that moment, you'll see that He is who He says He is. He alone is God. You only have two choices. Who do you belong to? John 15, Jesus puts it this way, verse 18. If the world hates you, remember that I, it hated me first. Why did the world hate Jesus? He's messing up our world order. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it. But you are no longer part of this world. I chose you to come out. Church, do you know what God has called you and I to do? Come out from the world. Come out. We're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be separate. Yes, we live here. But we've come out from the world. We've turned our back to the world so that we might face God. come out from the world i chose you to come out from the world so the world hates you why would you try to sustain your life in the current world order that's going to disappear i want to tell you what jesus said and if you want to reject it it's on you he said heaven and earth will disappear he didn't say it might high probability 80 percent forecast no he said heaven and earth will disappear but my words will never disappear. Now, do you believe Him? I asked you when I stepped out this morning, do you know Him? Because I'm going to tell you, to know Him is to believe Him. Do you believe Him? You see, Judas saw Mary worshiping Jesus with perfume, and he became angry. Why? Why would that make him angry? Judas had crossed over into the darkness of Satan, joining the army of Satan himself. Judas will be used of Satan. Why? How? By belonging to Satan, he becomes usable by Satan. 
Who do you belong to? The world hates Jesus worshipers. I get it. I went a long time not getting it, but I get it. The world hates Jesus worshipers because the world belongs to Satan. Those who belong to Satan are trying to sustain their life in the current world order by denying the new world order of Christ. And it's called His kingdom. And I want to say it again. Those who belong to Satan are angry at Jesus' followers because we're messing up their current world order by proclaiming a new kingdom is coming. The kingdom of Christ. John 8, 23. Here's what Jesus says. You are from below, I am from above. You belong to this world, I do not. That is why I said that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am who I claim to be, you will die in your sins. Now I want to fast forward five chapters in the Gospel of John. Jesus prayed this prayer to His Father before He went to the cross. Verse 13, Jesus says, Now I am coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world, so they would be filled with joy. I have given them your word. Listen, don't read over it. Jesus prays to his Father and said, I have given them your word. And the world hates them because they do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. I am not asking you, Father, to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so that they can be made holy by your truth. Let me summarize. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead and they plan to kill Jesus. Jesus comes back to Bethany during their plot. And Mary worships Jesus with perfume. And Judas comes out and calls her worship stupid and wasteful. The people hear Jesus is back in town to see resurrected, and to see resurrected Lazarus. And they make plans to kill Lazarus when he arrives. Do you see the spiritual battle? Do you see the two spirits, the two sides? Do you see that you can't belong to both sides? No one can worship two masters. No one. Do you see the futility of trying to sustain your life in a world that's passing away? Do you see the futility of trying to sustain your life with a dark grave out in front of you? Do you see it won't work? Do you see why Jesus says that if you try to hang on to this life, you will lose it. And the only way you'll save your life is to give up your life. This event with Mary and perfume on Jesus' feet was the day before Palm Sunday that would lead to Friday of the cross. She was preparing Jesus for what he was going to face, death. The Gospel of John doesn't reveal everything about this Mary and perfume event. Both Matthew and Mark document this event with Mary and the perfume. That's why you need to read the whole book. I want to read to you one of the one from Matthew in closing today. Chapter 26. But Jesus, aware of this, aware of what? Judas's remarks against Mary. Jesus, aware of this, replied, Why criticize this woman for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. She has poured this perfume on me to prepare my body for burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. Today, I proclaim in this room right now, that I have just now fulfilled the prophecy of Jesus from the Gospel of Matthew. He said, from this day forward, wherever the Gospel is preached, Mary will be honored because of what she just did to me. 
I have done so in the midst of sharing the good news of the resurrection of the dead. Today I have told you about the spiritual war that rages in the heavenly realms. I have told you that there are only two sides in this world war and that you belong to the one that you face. God's plan is unstoppable and there is nothing. God's plan is unstoppable and there is nothing Satan can do to stop God's plan except one thing. Stop you from believing it. I want to say it again. Nothing that God has ordained is stoppable. It's coming. There's only one thing Satan can do. He can convince you not to believe it. Now here comes the practical application. How is the church being deceived in the last days? How are people sitting in this room today being deceived in these last days? How? How? I know. Do you know? You don't know what this book says. You don't know. You think you can come to church on Sunday and I'll tell you what it says. Well, I will, but that's not enough for you. When Jesus enters the wilderness and he's confronted by Satan, every time, what's he do? What's he do? What's he do? Some of you know. Some of you don't know. Why don't you know? Because you're distracted by this world. You're distracted. You don't want anybody to tell you that, but you're distracted. You think that somehow or another you can preserve your life by putting Jesus up on a shelf. I'll get to that one of these days when I get some time. I'm going to tell you what, there is no time without him. Every time Jesus is confronted by Satan, you know what he does? He quotes the Bible. He quotes the Old Testament Scriptures, and Satan backs away. He quotes it, Satan backs away. He quotes it, Satan backs away. You know why the church is falling into apostasy? Because they have abandoned the Word of God. All right, let's take a test. This past month, how much time have you spent in the Bible study? I'd be embarrassed to hear the real answer. In a couple of weeks on Wednesday night, we'll open up sessions of Roots. Scattered throughout this building for an hour, we'll open up the Bible. Every class does the same thing. They open up the Bible and they study it together. And less than a third of this church will attend one of those sessions. Why? Do you think you can sustain your life in this current world order without Jesus? And listen, I'm not naive. I don't think that Wednesday Night Roots is the only place on earth you can study the Bible. So if you're doing a study somewhere else, praise God, hallelujah, go after it. But if you're not studying the Bible, can I ask you, what are you doing? Satan cannot stop what's about to take place. The only thing he can do is stop you from believing it. And if you need more signs than what's going on in this world today, you're already blind and probably I can't help you. Satan will lose this war. And he is bound for a lake of burning sulfur. Satan will take all of his army with him to that lake of fire. And all who belong to Satan are going to get what Satan gets. That's the bad news. You know what the good news is? All that belong to Jesus are going to get what Jesus gets. Who do you belong to? Do you think you can belong to yourself? Do you think you can be neutral in this war? I warn you today to join yourself to Jesus. But I'm going to give you a warning. When you join yourself to Jesus, you will become an enemy of this world. Yes, you will. Because this world belongs to Satan. One last time, Jesus gives a clear offer. I want to ask you, who could turn this down? What I'm about to read to you. John 6, 35. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes me will never be thirsty. But you haven't believed in me even though you have seen me. However, those the Father has given me will come to me and I will never reject them. For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And this is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of all those He has given me, but that I should raise them up at the last day. What? 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 I'm going to raise you up at the last day. 
that Lazarus thing, I've got one for you. Who's going to turn that down? Who's going to turn it down? You don't believe him. Satan wins. You don't believe it. Is he going to raise you up at the last day? Do you think you can sustain your life in this current world order without Jesus? What about the one that's coming? Verse 40, For it is my Father's will that all who see His Son, listen, my Father's will that all who see His Son and believe in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise them up on the last day. I'd like to say that Jesus has made an offer you can't refuse, but the reality is you can refuse it by not believing it. The Pharisees thought they could sustain their life in the current world order by rejecting Jesus. Do you think you can do that? One man for the nation. This is God's plan. One sheep. The Lamb of God that's going to take away the sins of the world. One man to bring together and unite all the children of God are scattered around the world. He's gathering children today. Listen, church. He's gathering children today. He's doing it in Texas. He's doing it in Kentucky. He's doing it around the world. He's gathering children today. One man. It's better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation be lost. It's called the kingdom of God. And it's available to Gentiles. It's available to Jews. The kingdom is coming. I'm going to ask Chad to come out for the invitation. When I was studying this particular scripture, the thing that hit me the most is when confronted with the truth of resurrection Jesus, they tried to sustain their life without Him. And I thought, that sounds safe and does it. He convinces people that they can sustain their life without Jesus. That's how He's doing it then. That's how He's doing it today. There's people in this room, more than likely, that think that you can sustain your life without Jesus. Something bigger than this world order is coming. It's called the kingdom of heaven. Who would turn down this offer? Do you believe Him? Do you know Him? The invitation of Christ today is for you. If you today are in this room and you can honestly say that if, if today you died, you breathed your last breath, you are lost. Why would you walk out that door when there's living water in front of you? Why? Why wouldn't you take hope? Well, you might say, well, you know what? I believe if I do that, it'll mess up my world order. Because you know what? Yeah, it will. It'll mess up your world order. It'll flip you upside down. Yes, it will. Right into eternal life. You won't make it without him. The invitation's open. Let's stand.